cover. All righty, time to kick things off with X-Men Volume 2, Number 2. I am joined by my good pal Jody to discuss, uh, well, arguably the flagship book of the line, uh, at this point anyway. And uh, how, how are you doing this month, uh, Jody? I'm doing well, Chris, and I'm uh, happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. Uh, when last we left off, stuff was happening. Uh, <laughs> big stuff <laughs> in the X-Men universe here. Um, and uh, we were going we were going to get more big stuff in the X-Men universe here as well. Um, let's go right into the uh, the credits here. Well, actually, you know, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, something you mentioned here about the first episode. We did a little poll here, a very, uh, uh, you know, just a very casual poll about what comment, what version of X-Men number one everybody on the show got. And uh, I believe you were the only one to get a certain cover. Yeah, I was the only one with cover A. Apparently, the, I was the only one that uh, had uh, Beast and Storm scratching my itch. That was <laughs> everybody else went for the more glamorous Cyclops. Actually, I was really surprised. Magneto, people, the Magneto cover. <laughs> yeah, I was really surprised about that. So was I, because that's like the last one I think about. I never <laughs> think about that one unless it's in the gatefold. And I I swear, like almost everybody said that that was the one that they got. And even on social media, the, the response we got was the Magneto cover. It was totally blew me away because as a kid, that would be the last one I would have gotten, wanted to get. Oh, me and, too. And, and even today, I, I, give me the Wolverine and Cyclops all day, every day. <laughs> but, but that was X-Men number one. This is X-Men number two. Uh, just like everything we're going to discuss today, it has a November 1991 cover date. Story is called Firestorm. This is uh, Chris Claremont's penultimate issue of X-Men. This is his second-to-last book as part of this line. Uh, pencils, Jim Lee, co-plotted by both of those gentlemen. Inked by Scott Williams, leaded Tom Orzachowski. Colors, Joe Roses. Roses, yes. Uh, edits, Bob Harris, Chief Tom DeFalco. We got $1 USD, 125 Canadian, and 65 PUK. Uh, over at uh, Moratory Mondays, we don't know what a P is. We we discuss pence. Uh, Isn't it pence? I think it's a pence, but we we wouldn't know a pence if somebody dropped one in our lap. <laughs> so <laughs> we figure they're just carrying around letter P's, but uh, probably not. Um, now, if Mike's Amazing World of Comics is accurate, this book went on sale on September seventeenth, nineteen ninety one, and uh, it has one of those uh, iconic covers. I think we can call it. Uh, what what are your thoughts on on our cover here? I love it. Uh, you got Magneto, who's looking, uh, you know, a little uh, battle worn, <laughs> and he's got uh, uh, he's got Professor X wrapped up in some like what are they? What would you say those are cables? Some sort I think of so. uh, yeah, some metallic cables, and the rest of the team is uh, encased in uh, what I'm assuming from reading the story. If I'm not giving too much away, <laughs> it would be what chrome. I think it's supposed to be chrome, but it looks more like cement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had been a while when I picked this up to read it. it had been a while since I read it, and I thought, what, what is this? Are these statues? What's he got statues of the X Men for on uh, Asteroid M? Well, I guess I'll just have to read it and find out. Yeah, I, I, you know, I thought it was just like a, uh, like a, like a figurative sort of a thing where it's like this is just showing that Magneto is in control and uh, all the X Men are in concrete or cement or whatever it was, but. I remember a friend of mine and I had a big argument about this, and, and it's not a very interesting story, but I'll share it anyway because that's kind of what I do. Um, 
Wolverine's claws are out, right, on this cover. He's 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 in this, you know, concrete cover. He looks like a statue. His claws are out. And my buddy's like, man, it would have been great if his claws were in. And I'm like, why? He says, well, because then he could have popped his claws because the claws could go through anything, including whatever they're wrapped up in. And I'm like, I think it's just a cover, dude. And he's, <laughs> he's like, he's like, no, no. If he ha- if his claws were in, he could pop them out. And I'm like, well, if his clothes can cut through, can't he just pop them back in and like just destroy it anyway? And, and we got into this like, like knockdown drag out over this stupid little <laughs> detail on this cover, which uh, anytime I look at it, that's the first thing that pops into my mind. It's like, hey, look, Wolverine's clothes are out. <laughs> so that's uh, that always kind of gets me here. Uh, <laughs> you want to talk us into uh, our catch up from uh, from where we where we were last time? Absolutely. <clears throat> When last we left our heroes, Magneto's followers, the Acolytes, had begun to attack Genosha for the country's past role in enslaving mutants. The X-Men arrive and do what they do best, which is a lot of hitting and a lot of talking. A lot of talking. Oh, boy. To defuse the situation. Magneto then arrives, and that's essentially where we pick up here. Mm -hmm. That's the short and sweet of it, anyways. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I... I do really dig the uh, the attack on Genosha here because uh, as we get into this, they're they're actually going to use the name of the crossover that this happened in as like the actual like government code name for the uh, for the event. They they actually call it like <laughs> like code name Extinction Agenda. It's like that is insane that uh, that the government like has a file somewhere with Extinction Agenda on it. <laughs> We're wiping them out, and we're wiping them all out. Extinction. <laughs> Every last one. <laughs> now, now this, uh, I, I think here, uh, the uh, the first page um, it might even be a little bit more iconic to me than the cover. And uh, yes, agree. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, you wanna you wanna describe uh, what we're looking at here? Uh, yeah, it's basically it's just a headshot of Magneto, but yep. he's. He's looking very irate, and I just this is a sort of headshot. I feel I feel like I've seen this in so many different. I mean, I couldn't even begin to tell you where I've seen it over the years, but I feel like I've seen it on. I, I don't even know. <laughs> it, it looks like a merchandise shot. It looks exactly. like something That's what I was that, thinking, yeah, but I'm that like, would be nah, licensed. Go there. But yes, I was thinking that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a it's a very iconic, just a big old dome, you know, Magneto's head. It. Uh, like if you were reading um, West Coast Avengers when John Byrne was on it, like every single first page was just a big headshot. And this is just a Jim Lee version of that. And it looks amazing. It's uh, one of those that have just been burned into my head. And when you see it, it's like it's like seeing an old friend, even though it's, you know, someone who wants to destroy humanity. It's uh, it was <laughs> it was uh, just a very, very classic uh, piece of Jim Lee art here. And uh, just totally brought me back to to my childhood, seeing just this one page here. And uh, that's weird about about this this volume of X-Men is there are just so many iconic things here. We talked about it last time where like almost every page is just like, oh, it's that one. You know, it's Magneto holding his hand out and the acolytes are coming up or it's Wolverine mm-hmm. in the sewer. It was just everything is so I, Gambit, you know, kissing the robot Jean Grey and having him explode. <laughs> 
so many iconic images that just stick with you. And this is uh, just more of the same. And uh, we're going to get these books. Yes. Yeah. You've read yeah, these books so many times as a kid that this stuff is just ingrained in your in your memory, in your yep. mind. And yeah. you, it's just been there. You, you can come back to it myself. Come back to this stuff after not looking at it for 25 years ago. Yep. I remember that. It's it's like the first couple issues of X Men and the death of Superman. Those are the yes. ones where it's just like yes. boom, it's right there. But uh, yep. let's let's get into the uh, the story. Let's get past Magneto's head and uh, and see what see what his head is saying. We'll try. We'll try. He's got a big head and he's got that big red uh, helmet. We'll see if we can get past it. And and a big mouth. We're gonna find out. <laughs> yeah, a lot of words coming out of it. <laughs> Magneto once again decrees that while he doesn't condone the Acolyte's actions, he's not abandoning them and that it's up to him to decide what must be done with them for attacking the city and destroying a hospital. Cyclops tells his team to stop worrying, or excuse me, Cyclops tells his team to stop trying to reason with Magneto as he doesn't care what happens to ordinary humans at this point. Magneto says, as always, or he says, I quote, as always, you see me as you wish. But then he says, yeah, you're actually right. I, I don't care about the humans. <laughs> he then argues that maybe Genosha had it coming to them as former mutant slavers. Mm, it's funny here with this uh, this opening two page splash here. Everybody like almost everybody says something. Like Beast has like a paragraph that he rattles off. Cyclops has a paragraph. Gambit says something. Everybody is just talking. It's like a big like a Socratic session here where they're all just yep speaking and it's it's like you should fight the guy, you know. Now you take a turn. Now you take a turn. Yeah. Now, who has the talking stick? An interesting point I noticed as looking through this issue. Wolverine doesn't have one line in the entire book. I saw that in your notes and it blew my mind. Uh, <laughs> Wolverine says zero things. Yeah, this is peak Wolverine. And yes. it's you would expect him to whip out some sort of soliloquy or a, a bub or something. But no. Something. Yeah, not a and word. I don't know if that has something. Obviously, you know, you've covered this on your shows over the years. This this book has kind of a a, a history and with it as far as Claremont is concerned, as mm-hmm. far as how much of it he actually handled, right? And I just wonder mm-hmm. if maybe something in the translation got lost, or it just it's very awesome. odd to, to see that. It's possible because I know um, one of the big complaints uh, from Claremont and Byrne was. Uh, just how slow their respective artists were and how things were, they were getting pages faxed to them, like with minutes to go before, you know, heading to print and they'd have to script <laughs> them from, from scratch. And then, and then like the next day, like a revision of that same page would come out and they'd have to re rescript it and just a disaster. So maybe, I don't know, maybe Jim just didn't feel like drawing Wolverine all that much or didn't feel like having him in an area where he could have a big voice bubble that, that Claremont is known for. I don't know. It's a very, very weird, though. Very. It, it definitely stands out. And when I saw that in the notes, I was like, that can't be right. But but it is. It is. It, and it's it's crazy. You just like mm-hmm. he's here. He is. He's getting encased in well, spoilers, but encased <laughs> in chrome and thrown around and fighting. And he's. Apparently he's got nothing to say about it. No, he's, he is totally bored with the entire thing. He has no <laughs> comment. <laughs> All right. It's then that a Genosha defense helicopter made from plastic and molded ceramic, which, boy, that's kind of a feat in itself, right? Mm-hmm. That, that <laughs> Keeping that off the but ground. The, yeah. It's comics, people, so just go with it. <laughs> 
so made from plastic and molded ceramic composites launch missiles made of the same material, which was, in theory, a much better idea than the X-Men launching the stealth Blackbird strike last <laughs> issue. remember bringing that up. <laughs> but it doesn't really matter because it meets the same fate as Magneto uses steel beams to easily abate their attack. Yeah, they didn't really think that one through. It's like, well, he can't manipulate the helicopter. It's like, but he can manipulate everything around it. Right. It's like every Bronze Age Green Lantern story. I can't do anything. Oh, they sent a yellow missile at me. I can't do anything about it. Every (laughs) time. Every time. (laughs) (laughs) Magneto then sends a team falling underground so he can finish his business with the Acolytes. But that is short-lived as Rogue tries unsuccessfully to attack again and is flung effortlessly into a nearby harbor. Mm-hmm. A gloating Fabian Cortez is met by oh. Psylocke, who is asked by Cortez if she'd like, quote, a taste of his power, and plants one on her surprised face, which sends her reeling, which is just, mm-hmm. it's just weird to see that stuff in comics now. Well, we saw it last issue with uh, uh, Gambit, Gambit and, and the robot. robot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we're getting a, a little bit of it again uh, this time around. It's weird that the, that this was just you know what what you did. It, I, I remember um, not to not to jump into a different subject, but I think like uh, not too long ago, like Ric Flair uh, tried to kiss a girl, one of the one of the girls in on wrestling on on Raw. He tried to like kiss one, and uh, and it was like this huge uproar. But back in 1991, that's what would happen. Yeah, right. no, it, it was just accepted. Uh, so yeah, it's very weird. Um, but if anyone's going to do it, I'm glad it's Fabian Cortez because he's a jerk and uh, I hate him. I think everyone hates him. He's a jerk <laughs> first. So this just gives us even more reason to think of him as a, as sort of a scumbag. So that works for me. He didn't need any fuel for the fire. He did. We'll, we'll take it. We don't need any reason to like him. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, at the United Nations, Nick Fury, as well as Val Cooper, and other world leaders are watching the situation unfold via broadcast. A Russian, Comrade Alexiev, reminds us of the nuclear missile detonation we saw last issue over Russia. Its electromagnetic pulse disrupted electronic systems across the continent, and its radioactivity and fallout, were, we are told, is worse than the Chernobyl disaster. While the Chinese official welcomes Magneto's sovereign state of Asteroid M with open arms, Comrade Alexiev isn't having it and once again demands immediate implementation of the Magneto protocols. What is that? Maybe we'll find out. Maybe we will. And uh, it's here I found out that Val Cooper is a doctor. Yeah, Nick Fury oh. calls her Dr. Cooper. I didn't realize she was a doctor. Um, and looking at uh, Comrade Alexiev here, he kind of looks like a like a beta version of Jacob Marlowe from Wildcats. Uh, he looks very, <laughs> yeah. very short, uh, unless unless like maybe Jim was having a really bad perspective day. But this dude looks very short. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't even read a lot. I, I've read very few issues of uh, Wildcats, but even I know who Jacob Marlowe yeah. is. So that's that's funny. <laughs> Uh, heading back to Genosha, Psylocke is running through the street as the many voices of the people of Genosha run through her head. A hateful mob begins to attack her before Beast comes to her aid. Fabian Cortez, who's still gloating, Jerk. appears to inform him he had enhanced her psychic ability to the ultimate extent, trying to overload her skull. He stops gloating after Gambit shows up behind him and nails him in the head with his staff. So mm-hmm. he's taken out pretty easily. 
Yes, yeah, pretty easy there. <laughs> Which is is nobody's nobody's uh, complaining about that. Not at all. <laughs> having had enough, Magneto shows back up, having bound Cyclops and Wolverine in metal from the explosion. Not that Wolverine has anything to say about it. Uh, he's cool with it. <laughs> <laughs> he implores the X-Men once again to stop fighting and join him in his never-ending crusade against humans. He's a bit of a broken record. Same old, same old, man. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, back at Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters, Forge has placed a call to the gold team for backup as Genosha, on Genosha as Banshee as Forge what exactly the Magneto protocols are after all. Neither Xavier nor Forge know, but Xavier intends to find out. Xavier then wonders where Moira McTaggart has disappeared to. As you may or may not recall, <laughs> last issue ended with Moira declaring this entire business was all her fault. Which, I have to be honest, until I got to this page, I had forgotten all about this. Oh, yeah, it was, that was the big cliffhanger. That was the, yeah, that was the big ending. <laughs> Xavier intends to find out where she's disappeared to, even if it involves leaving the security of the X of the X mansion. Mm-hmm. But first, we jump back to Genosha, where Magneto is continuing to persuade a still-standing rogue to join his cause. He just won't stop. Uh, he is suddenly ambushed from behind by Psylocke and her psychic knife. And you got to remember, she is all jacked up from Cortez's kiss. So uh, she's able to really, really get in there with this knife. Um, she says that her brain feels like that drug commercial frying in acid. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if we have to explain that one. Do, do you think we have to explain that one? With the audience that's listening to this show, I wouldn't think so. But it's no. a, it was a uh, anti-drug PSA from the early 90s, which if you were alive in the early 90s, you saw it. I'm sure you've seen it. <laughs> now, uh, now after she says this, uh, she says how lucky she is not to have to actually have hurt him at all, uh, doubting that she could have ever come close to hurting him at her normal uh, levels here, which may be selling herself a little bit short. Uh, out of nowhere, the acolytes make the save, and, and we're not talking about uh, Farouk or or Bradshaw. And then uh, <laughs> nobody's favorite acolyte, but perhaps the patron mutant of 1990s comics, Chrome. <laughs> oh, oh, Chrome. He encases the X-Men minus Wolverine and Cyclops in Chrome. <laughs> so now, now they now they belong. Then they're going to be pegged to the wall with like a two dollars added to their price. I think. But. You know, I was going to say that uh, with this, I'm sure if Wizard really wanted to stretch it, this is the first appearance like Chromium. Uh, this is where it started. X-Men, right? This is where it all starts. <laughs> it was, I, I, I actually think. Um, Silver Surfer number 50, which is like known as like the first one, comes out right oh, around here. So you're right. You're right. <laughs> I think uh, I think Chrome might have been responsible for it. So we have him to thank, I suppose. Um, <laughs> now, Magneto le- leads everyone back to Asteroid M at this point, uh, voicing his displeasure with Cortez's Genosian attack along the way. Now, after returning to Asteroid M, which is still being protected by a screen of nuclear missiles risen from that Soviet sub last issue. Cortez informs Magneto that when he, you know, when he gave him the once-over heel in him last issue, he noticed a little bit of a discrepancy in his DNA code. And Magneto has a sneaking suspicion he knows how it might have occurred. <laughs> Back on Earth, we briefly see the Soviets have enacted the Magneto Protocols. Finally. Yes, maybe you've heard of them. <laughs> We're, we're doing it. We're enacting the Magneto protocols. 
and launching a launched a plasma cannon into space headed to the vicinity of asteroid M. Mm-hmm. Next, we're headed back to the Xavier School grounds as Xavier has found Moira at the boathouse on the lake. Mm-hmm. Which um, this is uh, this this boathouse. It's what on the um, edge of the the Xavier or the excuse me the university the property, yeah. right? Yeah, it's on the edge of the estate, I believe. Yeah. And uh, this is where uh, Scott and Jean, well, we don't want to spoil what Scott and Jean do in, in, in about two years, but uh, they move there <laughs> after they do that thing that we're not going to spoil. No spoil. Oh, oh, yeah, we're not, we're not going to spoil it. <laughs> Charles is trying to get answers from Moira without trying to reach inside her head, but she's not budging. No. One other interested party is Magneto, who's shown up from Asteroid N and flung the entire house into orbit. So they won't be disturbed before he gets answers. It's like Wizard is, of Oz here. <clears throat> it's just kind of funny. Like, yeah, we'll just send whew, house just goes up in the air and we need to be alone. So he just he just sends a house up in the air. It's sure. 90s comics for you. It's true. <clears throat> Forge and Banshee look on from afar, looking about as useless as both characters can look. That's true. Yep. <laughs> Magneto then informs Xavier and Moira about the anomalies in his DNA. Situation Xavier knows nothing about. Mm-hmm. Magneto then thinks back to an earlier story involving his Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and the creation of Alpha, the ultimate mutant, from the Defenders when he fought the Defenders in Defenders number 16 by Len Wein and Stel Buscema with a cover date of October 1974, the end of which results in Magneto and the entire Brotherhood being turned into babies oh boy it's something it's it, it <laughs> so, so, you know it, it looks just so silly um it, it's almost like hard to imagine that this actually happened uh because it just looks like we've got the blob here and he's and they turn him into a fat baby a fat baby as yeah. are most babies yes it's true it's true he, he's the healthiest of the bunch here um <laughs> magneto still has white hair too which is kind of funny here. Uh, so he, he's the uh, the oldest baby around here. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, this might be a divisive thing here, the X-Babies? I got to tell you, Chris, I love the X-Babies. Oh. And I've always loved the X-Babies. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since I was a kid, I have always been a sucker. I remember once I was in Canada. I was on vacation. I was in Toronto and I was going through must have been like a strip mall, but it had a flea market or something in it. Okay. And it was a prestige format Excalibur. Okay. Um, yes. Mojo Mayhem, I believe mm-hmm. is the name of it. it Happened is. to find it. Think it was a, I don't know, probably a dollar, two dollars. Picked that thing up. Had the X babies in it. <laughs> I, I like it. I don't care. I like Mojo. <laughs> I, I know that's also divisive. I'm a Mojo fan, and I've always been an X babies fan. I am a sucker. For any comic where the heroes ba- get turned into babies, which, uh, like, I- I'm a I'm a big fan of like Silver and Bronze Age Superman comics. Sure. That's like every third issue, probably every yeah. third issue of Superman is an imaginary story where Lois is breaking a a, a, a brush over Superman's butt. Yep, and he's just <laughs> he's like got his hand stuck in a in a cake. He's eating a cake while while she's breaking a, a brush over his butt. I love it. I'm a sucker for that stuff. <laughs> Turning into babies, turning into giants, any any stupid crap like that, I'm in. I'll take it. Jimmy Olsen turning into the the, the turtle boy lizard character. Yep. Thing. Oh well, how did this happen? I don't know. I guess I'm gonna have to read it and find out. I it's don't know. True. 
That will get you. That will get you for sure. <laughs> but yeah, isn't it weird that this? So this. Getting back to the X Men story here. Mm-hmm. So what what Claremont is doing is he's expounding on a plot point from a book that was from 17 years. Yeah. I'm assuming a forgettable Defenders story. Oh sure. From 17 years before that, and that is mm-hmm. just that's that's crazy, and that's that's yeah. um. I applaud him for that. I think that's oh great. totally, totally. It's it's definitely, and we'll talk about this more in a bit. Uh, this is a a sign that Claremont is playing ball uh, because he is cooperating with everything that editorial wants out of out of returning Magneto to uh, to his more villainous side here, and to do it in this way <laughs> is. Yeah, I, I know words like brilliant have been like kind of devalued <laughs> in the <laughs> advent of the internet, but this is a this is a very very creative um, and clever way to do this is what I'd say, and uh, really just shows that uh, that Claremont still cared, even though he has got you know a foot and a half out the door at this right. point, he still cares about you know his children here. He's taking care of them before he leaves, and. Uh, no, I, I definitely love this, and we'll talk more about it as as we get deeper. And and you know, I will tell you that um, '80s X Men is a bit of a blind spot for me. So when okay. I see this, <clears throat> I know in the '80s Magneto was well, he was headmaster of the he Xavier was. School, right? Yep. And, and that so I read this, and I, I don't think anything yeah. of it. But uh, you know, as as you've expounded on this, it's yeah, I guess this is kind of a, a big heel turn for him and mm-hmm. something that had not been seen in what? Uh, probably About a decade. Was yeah, this, uh, probably 10 years or so. I, was the, What was the trial of Magneto? Was uh, was that issue 200? Was that actually yeah, right here? Right behind, behind me. Yeah. Behind me. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's like when uh, then that's when Magneto's you know babyface turn was uh, starting to kick in. Uh, Secret right. Wars, when you know when the Beyonder brought Magneto, he put him with the good guys, not the bad guys. So. That was when he started to uh, to you know get his little baby face turn in there, and Claremont did a hell of a lot to humanize him and make you uh, make him a uh, a sympathetic character. Uh, called forward all the World War II stuff, uh, the all the Auschwitz um, information, and uh, just made Magneto a real sympathetic character. Unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, depending on your your mileage, uh, Jim Lee didn't want that. And uh, Jim Lee had Bob Harris's ear and Jim Lee wanted bad Magneto. He wanted Sentinels. He wanted all the stuff that he remembered from growing up. And uh, it's all stuff that Claremont had done 20 times already at this point. So, Mm -hmm. you know, either either move on to something new or we go back to the old without the guy steering the ship. And uh, we we all know how that went. But, you know, I, I definitely, just like you said, uh, applaud Claremont for, for digging this deep and coming up with something just so damn clever to to kind of just hand wave uh, this, this turn in. And if you read this Defenders story, which, which I did in preparation for this show, if you read this Defenders story, it is like Dumb. just looking at the art. I mean, it looks like an ape. <laughs> And just looking at the art and reading the story, it's a completely different character and just shows how far he yeah. had come in the, uh, what, 17 years since then, how far he had been, how far Claremont had developed his character. Yeah. And he made him a character. On him and, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, I read that one in black and white in the uh, the Essential Defenders Volume 2, and uh, it, it's, it's very, uh, it's almost like, 
symbolic that I only read it in two colors because Magneto was a raving lunatic. He had <laughs> absolutely no shade of gray to him. He was just a crazy man. And, uh, and, and like you said, Claremont fixed that and, uh, mm-hmm. and made him, made him the character we all know today. The character that was in movies where I, I didn't see the movies, but I, I know there were scenes with him and professor X playing chess because they were like intellectual equals who respected one another. Right. The Magneto before he was turned into a baby, that's that's a different character. That's not that kind of <laughs> Well, after he was turned into a baby, he was sent to live with Moira on Muir, Muir yeah. how do you pronounce that? Muir Island? Sure. Muir Island until he was returned back to adulthood by Eric the Red in Uncanny X-Men 104 by Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum with a co- cover date of April 1977. So he spent, what, two and a half years as a baby? Could you imagine that? I mean, that <laughs> like Magneto is like a list character. Uh, and it's like, yeah, we, we made him a baby for a few. Like, could you imagine DC turning the Joker into a, like, yeah, we, we turned him into a cabbage for three years. No, to be fair, no. didn't they do that with Darkseid for what? A year or two? Oh yeah. He was a baby. That's right. Yes. They did do that with Darkseid. I, I had bowed out by that point, but I, I've, Most people I've did. seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, the, the Eric the Red is actually going to come back uh, into the Magneto story, but it won't be for like eight or nine years. Um, <laughs> now, Magneto, as we know, he wants to know what – because he, he's blaming Mora for all this stuff here. And he wants to know what she did to him when he was a baby. And uh, Mora is just denying it. She's like, hey, I didn't do nothing. Uh, Magneto refuses to believe her, and he threatens to throw Xavier into the depths of space until she finally coughs up the answers he wants. And uh, – Hey, that's the right tactic. He worked. Uh, Mora decides she's going to speak. Um, now, time passes as the Acolytes and the X-Men are gathered, and Professor Xavier is absent. Mora explains that tests on Magneto's baby body indicated an instability on his central nervous system, as his brain was possibly unable to keep up with the amount of mutant energy flowing into his flowing through his brain, which would lead to a degradation of... Uh, of, you know, the man Xavier once called a friend, you know, made him just a loon, which we just mentioned. Now, <laughs> now Mora hopes that uh, with some genetic tinkering and using Magneto as sort of a guinea pig in her ideas here, she might be able to come up with a solution to this to maybe make him a little bit more stable, uh, which back in the day she was trying to uh, she was trying to fix her son Proteus, who. That was a that was a heck of a story early in the Claremont run where more it was you know mutant X uh, where uh, he just the X Men fought him he was taking over bodies and it was just a really really great story but uh, we find out that you know Proteus was Mora's son and uh, she was unable to save him and maybe thought that through this little genetic pl- you know play game with uh, Magneto that she maybe could have found a way. Magneto is furious as he questions if her tinkering has changed every moral choice he's ever had to make since, likening her experiences experiences to those he experienced himself in the concentration camps of World War II. Magneto then threatens Moira, casing her in the same chrome as the X-Men, threatening to kill them unless she replicated her experiments, finally bending the X-Men to his will and joining his cause. Left with no choice, Moira agrees. I got to tell you, Chris, just reading this and, you know, ha- having read this and hearing you say it again, 
this is such a to me anyways when you look at jim lee's art i don't think deep storytelling maybe no, that's just me no or that i think yeah. of you know the uh jerry bruckheimer like big budget action movie i, I don't think of a strike lot of strike a yeah. pose yeah yeah strike <laughs> a pose cheesecake whatever just big action lots of fighting stuff blowing up and this is pretty deep stuff it as is. far as that goes it's deep character development um it's the the heel tear heel turn of uh magneto and it's with good reasoning and it's mm-hmm. making him a sympathetic figure and it's going a long way to make him in my opinion at least as far as marvel goes one of the deepest one of the most interesting villains totally. in their stable totally totally absolutely and you know like we like we mentioned earlier here this is claremont ferrying magneto to his next incarnation here just uh i, I mean he's going to go full-blown nuts uh, as we move forward here He's going to return in, you know, if we're going to go through the the Executioner's song and then we're going to have Fatal Attractions where Magneto returns and he is just he is to the point where Professor X has to do something very bad to him, um, <laughs> which, which we won't spoil. But uh, it, this really provides like almost a justification. You know, I, lo- I love the lines. I, it, this the, the dialogue here we give claremont you know some guff for being a little too wordy here but magneto yes. questioning you know every decision he made and all of his decision were all of his decisions to that point were like not only redeemable but downright heroic you know he was right. a good guy he stepped in for professor x he 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 helped you know usher the new mutants into you know uh, their into graduation you know he was just a really good man you can count on. Uh, of course, there were, you know, a few little, you know, tweaks here and there where he maybe was hanging out with the Hellfire Club a little bit or, or whatever. Maybe he was a little too violent. But overall, he was he was a good guy. And here he is questioning that. Like, was I really that good? Was I did I was it was I doing that of my own volition or was I forced to do that by this this, you know, genetic tinkering? And uh I, I just love it. It is, and I, I don't want to say brilliant, but it is so clever. It is just so creative. It is Claremont using continuity to kick ass. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it's just amazing stuff. And uh, and I just, I love that they're actually able to keep Magneto's depth, but at the same time, hand wave it away. So right. we, still, right. we still have all the depth but now it's even a level deeper because there's all the questions on top of it. And it's, uh, and, and it, and it totally like gives him motivation to go crazy evil again. And, uh, without it, without it feeling like a cop out. Cause I, you know, when we get to fatal attractions and I, we won't, we won't linger on it too long. One of the big complaints that I remember hearing like on Usenet and even in retrospect is that, well, Magneto was a lunatic. They, they totally disregarded what Claremont did. It's like, well, did you read X-Men number two? <laughs> you know, did you, did you read the, did you read where Magneto found out why he was a good guy or started to question why he was a good guy? Uh, Cause this justifies that. You know, absolutely. absolutely. It's just so well done. And uh, and this is this is basically Claremont spiking the ball for for Jim Lee to pick up and run with. And right. uh, he did everything that was asked for him and he did it brilliantly. 
And the neat thing is too, just thinking about it, this is this is Marvel circa 1991. It's not known; they're not known for their deep storytelling no, at this point. Certainly no. not. Certainly no. Not. We're, yeah, it, we're a decade before that. Yeah. Like I said, I had not read this in some time, and I think the, some of the subtleties that were in it were stuff that had really maybe passed me by the last time I had read it, and it was mm-hmm. really interesting and a real treat to read it. And, oh, for uh, sure. I mean, to just see as you as you said the the depth of the storytelling here it's it's terrific oh yeah because i'm sure the first time i read this i missed out on everything yeah, like, oh, yeah magneto was a baby and i don't know um <laughs> but uh in subsequent rereads and especially now where, where we're doing with an analytic guy here and, and and i mean you've written up a synopsis i wrote up a synopsis and then i compared our synopsises and we and we basically hit on the same stuff Terrific. And and it's just it's just so cool because I didn't want to steal anything from what you were saying, so I wrote mine. But uh, it, it, the the parts that resonated were the parts that resonated for both of us, and uh, we both found that the the subtle depth here, um, or even overt depth, was worth noting. And uh, and really, it's like I'd like to drive this point home. Like if you ever dismiss these books as being just you know. Uh, you know, action porn or or just, uh, you know, as people handling Magneto incorrectly, read this issue, read just the two pages of the issue where, where right. the, the explanation comes out. And uh, Jim Lee is never going to be a guy who I think you could, will call like facially emotive. You know, usually the, the faces are just kind of utilitarian. It's like, OK, if they're speaking, the mouths are open and usually they're <laughs> usually they're posing. Right, snarling. going and looking very stern as the That's it. words yeah. are coming out of their mouth. Yeah, <laughs> but here, like you can, you can see Magneto is kind of, kind of a broken man, and just questioning everything he's done. It's just, it's just so well done, and I hate harping on it, but it, it's, it's really worth looking at. It is. It's really, it's really something to, to, to read. If, if it's been a while since you've read it, please, I, I implore mm-hmm. you, go back and read it. Absolutely. Well, get back to the story. We then cut to the. Salkalin Islands, not the Salkind Islands, they did uh, <laughs> Superman 4, but the Salkalin <laughs> Islands between the Soviet Union and Japan. Two men, a Soviet general and a Matsuo Surayaba, are mm-hmm. taking advantage of the electronic disruption caused by the nuclear explosion last issued to unearth something called Omega. This business deal goes south pretty quickly as Surayaba's forces eliminate the general and his men, leaving Omega in his hands. Hmm. Hmm. Now, now, something tells me that this isn't the same weapon Omega we'll be meeting later on in uh, this month's issue of Alpha Flight. Uh, <laughs> are, you, are you sure? Maybe Wizard would have you believe that that it is, right? <laughs> it depends on if if Wizard had a, in a surplus of Alpha Flight number 102 in their warehouse. <laughs> Better but, uh, just buy it to be on the safe side. Just yes, go ahead and just, get that one, too. Just be sure. But uh, now this is a fellow we're going to be meeting in in the flesh and coils in two months' time. Back on Asteroid M, Professor Xavier is alone in his quarters when suddenly the X-Men appear, informing him they've joined Magneto, informing him that times have changed and Magneto is the right man for this era. Xavier not being present during Moira's earlier interrogation excuse me, Moira's earlier interrogation and knowing nothing of Magneto's plans is stunned. He oh, is yeah. flummoxed. 
He is. And I love here that, uh, like, Cyclops, as he's telling him, he's like, he's like, you know, Cable has the right idea here. He names up Cable. <laughs> and uh, and he refers to, like, the, the you know, the proactive X-Force mission statement as the way things ought to be done. It's the 90s, damn it. We got to do this. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, by, you know, referring to X-Force, I hope he doesn't mean that, that the entire book should be drawn sideways. Because uh, <laughs> we're going to find out in a little while that that's quite unpleasant. We need we need a sideways. We need more GW Bridge. Yes, old front butt needs to be in this. Book. <laughs> <laughs> we then cut to the gold team back on Earth, who had been thoroughly trounced for a tenth straight time, and I'm not exaggerating for that either. No, nope. they say in the dialogue they have been trounced for a tenth straight time in a danger room kerfuffle against the combined might of Magneto, the Acolytes, and the Blue Team. Which. Okay. You know, looking at the gold team, looking at any team and seeing that who they're fighting against, you can kind of understand that. But just like in sales and popularity, the blue team kicks the gold team's butt every <laughs> time. <laughs> Forge enters asking Storm if they are the New York Mets. Oh, cold blooded Forge. Come on, man. Yeah, 1992 New York Mets, uh, far no. cry from the 86 Mets. It's true. It's true. <laughs> The team receives an incoming transmission from Nick Fury, who informs them that the Magneto Protocols, they're there again. There they are. I feel like sounding a trumpet when I say that. The Magneto (laughs) Protocols have been executed, and the Soviet plasma cannon we saw earlier is headed straight for Asteroid M. And their X-Men blue counterparts, unless they can get there first. Mm -hmm. To be concluded, next issue. Yes, and it's funny. I, I always conflate these issues like... It's like uh, when I was younger and didn't really understand the the heft of the big reveal, it just seemed like the blue team joined up with Magneto for no reason. It's like, yeah, why are they doing it? I and of course I, I this isn't the first X Men book I read. I read later than this to start, and uh, so like I think you know I had I probably had three first, and the, the cover of three is, is you know it's probably not as iconic as the first two, but it has the blue team fighting the gold team. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the whole cover. It's a, yep. a very classic Claremont sort of a trope, but uh, it just seemed like a very weird decision just to have them fight. It's like, we need a fight, fight them, make them fight. And, uh, <laughs> it's only after, you know, doing this with an analytical eye that it's more, uh, it, you know, you see the actual organic reasoning for it. And uh, it worked a lot better on me, you know, in, in subsequent rereads, of course, but, I'll never forget my first time reading it. It's like, well, why'd they do that? Because I missed out on all the subtleties. I was just a dumb kid. So I, I, I was like you. I think I uh, I owned three and one and didn't own two until, <laughs> I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Sure. So sure. I read all this stuff out of order and didn't bother yep. to read it back in order. So, yeah, I was I was kind of in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, what, what, do you, what do you have? Uh, you know, we've we've harped on a bunch of things here, but uh, you have any any sort of parting thoughts for this issue well unfortunately with that last page the gold team were not not really made to look too endearing to to anybody no, they don't look <laughs> they don't look formidable at all and uh and it, it's just it's so weird because like the blue team and the blue book uh, kind of outclasses the gold team and the gold book every time out in almost every conceivable way yep it's uh it's very weird here and uh it's like, don't you want people to buy the other book? You know, don't make the gold team look like crap all the time. <laughs> they look like crap enough in their own book. It's, yeah, just not a, uh, 
not a good thing, but I guess, you know, Claremont, they probably wanted to give Claremont his swan song with as many of the players on the stage right. as possible. So. That's what I was just thinking that it was almost like a, it'd be like they're playing kickball or something. That's like, all right, well, Claremont and Lee, you guys pick who you want first. Yep. You get the first eight picks and then we'll take whoever's left over. Well, it feels like we that. want Jubilee too. All right, I guess you can have her too. And we'll, you don't even get <laughs> But not that. until the fourth issue. Yeah, <laughs> not not quite yet, but you don't get Jubilee either. <laughs> and uh, you guys take all the scraps on the gold team. And it and it's made to look that way in this issue. Like, yeah. uh, well, we're we're gonna go out there. We're gonna try our best. They're like the, I don't know. It's it's like Bob Spark plug Holly and. <laughs> X-Pac going after the tag team title circa 1995. <laughs> That's a really deep plug, but th- for whatever reason, that was the first thing that came to my came to my mind. <laughs> they they held the belts for like a night, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, one night. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this was a this was a hell of an issue. Um, and it's when when we started this this project here, the first three issues were a little bit intimidating to me because they are just so full and they are just so iconic. And uh, they really are a, you know, in every conceivable way, they're a farewell. You know, we are going to be saying goodbye to Chris Claremont in in a regard, uh, you know, next time out. And they do it with very little pomp and circumstance, unfortunately. But uh, and we will get there. But uh, these issues really made me feel uncomfortable to cover because it's just one of those books that feels like it's on a different plane. Like this story just feels like it's so important that anything that I'm going to say about it is going to not matter. You know, right. Right. But but, you know, you you just find so much good in it. And um, unfortunately, I feel like it gets dismissed. Uh, even though it is important and it is iconic and uh, inside and outside of, you know, the, the between the covers, it's very important uh, to the industry. I feel like it gets dismissed as, you know, just being more 90s stuff. And uh, it's definitely not. <laughs> it's uh, right. When you think about like the the excess of 90s comics, this is not it. This is uh, this is actually, um, you know, pitch perfect Claremont. Um, and it's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to go through and to do so with the uh, with the you know the emphasis and the uh, the the purpose of sharing it it makes it even better uh, and I, I hope that everything we're saying here kind of sticks with folks and they maybe if they didn't give this a try they do and if they haven't read it in a while they maybe go back and revisit it because uh, I can't tell you Chris and now I you know in preparation for this I probably read this issue maybe two three weeks ago mm-hmm. I couldn't. I have not read the third issue. I've not read X-Men 3 in quite some time. I still mm-hmm. haven't read it yet. Yep. So I'm looking forward to it. I had to stop oh, totally. myself from the moment I have it. Yep. But I had to stop myself from reading the next issue because I, I want to be right in line with it, you know? For sure, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't read it. I haven't read it in many years either. And uh, it's uh, definitely one of those like weird, uh, like the one, like a bad thing on podcasting is that you have to wait. You know, you can't just plow mm-hmm. through because you know if we had read part three now and it's all fresh in our minds we're gonna we're probably gonna deliver this a little bit differently yes it's gonna be different yes (laughs) yeah so to do it here with fresh eyes each and every time out it's it's one of those good thing bad things about uh about creating content (laughs) but uh (laughs) it is what we do and uh we have a good time doing it and uh really looking forward to to putting this uh this three-parter together uh when we're done after next month we're probably going to release this as a standalone episode, uh, like a sister show to From Claremont to Claremont, where it'll just be the first three issues of Claremont's X-Men. Um, oh. 
just in case, you know, th- this is a very long show. It might be a little overwhelming for some, <laughs> but uh, we will be pulling bits and pieces out a little, you know, a little peek behind the curtain here. We're going to be pulling full storylines out and putting them out sort of like as a collected edition to make it a little bit easier. Uh, if you just want to know what's going on in this book, you'll be able to do that when we when we wrap up the story. And we'll, we'll do that throughout the uh, the run of the program here just to make it a little bit more accessible, uh, maybe a little bit less uh, infuriating to have a 10 hour uh, audio podcast on your device of choice. So uh, says you, I'm all for it. I love it. <laughs> I, well, I, I like it. I love it too. But I got to keep our eye out on everybody. But uh, <laughs> but you know, before I let you go, we're gonna steal a page out of the Moratory Mondays playbook. If anybody's listened to that, you know that we cover the entire book of Moratory, uh, Strike Force Moratory, cover to cover, including. Basically everything, the ads, and especially the bullpen bulletins page. Now I'm gonna probably explain this many, many times during the the, the, the process of this uh, episode here, so you're probably gonna get sick of hearing me say it. But in the bullpen bulletins, they take a staffer, a Marvel staffer, an editor, a freelancer, and they put them through something called the pro hyphen file, wherein they ask them a bunch of stupid questions. And, uh, <laughs> And I thought, hey, that sounds like a fun thing to do, especially since, you know, we all got introduced last time. This time, hey, maybe we we expand on that and we we ask some very, very silly questions. So uh, keep in mind, if you're ever a guest on this program or if you're ever you know interested in being added to the rotation as the library of X-Books grow, you might wake up in the morning to a very dumb direct message from me saying, hey, I got these questions for you. <laughs> so uh, we will uh, start here with our first segment here. And uh, I will ask Jody some uh, very biting questions here. These are these are some important questions. And uh, <laughs> as, as as a father of a nine year old and a six year old boy, I am used to being asked silly questions. So please <laughs> go right ahead. Well, I, I promise not to ask you why. A hundred times in a row. So, <laughs> so, Jody, what do you do? What's your gig? Well, my gig is right here on uh, from Claremont to Claremont. Hey, how about that? But that's <laughs> but that's not what you've done always. Uh, what are what are some things that maybe you used to do and don't do anymore? Or maybe you used to do and don't do quite as much. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, I have uh, I used to have a podcast called uh, That Old Comic Smell with. Uh, <laughs> couple of friends of mine jason and travis and i was also a co-host of the case in point podcast which i may or not be on uh, sometime again soon so um occasionally I, I moonlight on there cool cool so your what is your uh, what would your current content include um <laughs> arguing the virtues of jubilation lee and again occasional <laughs> guest spots on uh, case in point <laughs> very cool very cool uh how about some hobbies what what, what do you like to do for fun Oh, boy, what do I like to do for fun? Uh, I, I love going to flea markets and uh, mm-hmm. digging through long boxes. Uh, I, I like to uh, waste my time watching Dead Mall videos and uh, on YouTube and uh, videos about uh, defunct theme park, theme park attractions. And I like to uh, I like to color in color oh, books. Very cool. Those uh, Dead Mall videos can be kind of scary. Okay. It's like surreal, huh? We, I, I made my wife watch one uh, mm-hmm. about a month ago, and it was in a department, uh, an abandoned department store in uh, Baltimore. Okay, it had been abandoned, I don't know, for 25, 30 years, and she, she didn't care for it. <laughs> I, I've gone down that rabbit hole a couple of times, and 
because like the big mall when I was growing up, uh, like out on Long Island was the Sunvet Mall. And, uh, and, you know, I, I, I talk about how that was like the first place I went to like a mall con- comic convention where all the mm-hmm. retailers showed up and sold some stuff and uh, how that kind of like that's like a touchstone moment for my fandom is, is discovering this by accident, you know, cause my parents were shopping at Pathmark and outside comics, you know, somehow right. like tables and tables full of comics. It was like magic. And, uh, just, uh, I was just checking out what was going on at the Sunvet mall and it's not quite a dead mall yet, but it is dying. And it's, uh-huh. uh, and it led me down the rabbit hole of dead malls. And it's like, uh, if people have played the game The Last of Us, it's it's only it's only a little exaggerated. <laughs> Some of these buildings <laughs> are they're like tombs. They're they're very very disturbing to see. And not not so much from like a, a like a boo scary, but a just like you think about all the people who you know hit their alarm clock to go there to work. Yes, you know hundreds thousands of people, people filling out applications, buying stale pretzels, you know. Just all that stuff that you do at a mall, and they're they're just not there anymore. No, it's 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 one it's one part like kind of thrilling, I suppose, yeah, titillating to see this, and sure. then the other part being like really depressing to see this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like if you've ever worked like overnights, and uh, like if you worked daytime and then you switched to overnights, and you get there and like the building's empty, and it's like wow, I've got the whole building to myself. And there's that weird thrill to it. Sure, um, sure. But but at the same time, it's like this weird, it's so weird because there's so much space, but there's like claustrophobic feelings. Right. And, uh, and I guess I'm just lucky that I don't live where I grew up because, you know, I don't have, I don't have childhood memories of the malls here. Like mm-hmm. if I walk through a mall that was dying or dead, it's like, oh, well, you know, that's, that's where I got, you know, that video game or something when I was eight. I don't right, have right. that, so I, I I get to I get to sidestep that bit of depression. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, those videos are are really if you haven't watched them, uh, definitely uh, you know give them give them a look because they are very uh, like sobering. Uh, yes, it's a real sign of the times. Which I I can recommend uh, a guy by the name of Dan Bell on uh, mm-hmm. YouTube. He makes fantastic videos. That's awesome. that's that's where you want to go if any of our listeners are looking for that. Very cool. Very cool. Now, uh, out of all the content that you created for the Internet, what would you say is something that you're the most proud of? Well, one thing that really stuck with me, Chris, um, I I had a friend of mine, uh, one of our listeners uh, when we were doing our show. uh, His name is Nick Garcia. I'm still friends Mm -hmm. with him, still keep in contact with him. And I remember at one point he had written me and told me that he was listening to my podcast and me and my friends talk about stupid crap like opening (laughs) old baseball cards or something along those lines while he was hiking with his wife in South, I believe it was South America. Oh, wow. And when I think of that, um, you know, I'm sure you can relate to this too. When I think of a, the scope that as a podcast, the scope that it is reaching through, not just throughout uh, you and I living here in the United States, but uh, North America throughout mm-hmm. the world, it's, it's mind blowing to me. It's mind blowing to True. take all in and to, to think of the, the grasp, like you and I sitting here talking about dead malls and mm-hmm. things that somebody on the other side of the world might be listening to this. And that's to true. that, it just, it's heady for me. And I don't get that way much, but that's very like, wow, man, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that is, I, that is totally, I, I get that a hundred percent. That is, uh, 
that is one of those things that when when you find out that there's someone like in Australia or someone, you know, even, you know, even like on the other side of the country, you know, someone someone in Florida, you know, someone in in Toronto, mm-hmm. listening to listening to me talk, listening to us talk and share stories. It's uh, you know, we talked about some bad things about podcasting and that you have to wait to read the books. That is one of like the very it, it's a magical feeling and it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one that if you stop to think about it, it'll blow your mind. Yes, uh, that's, that's what I It's had. huge. Yes. Yeah, it is huge. Now, that is very, very cool. Um, now, uh, here's one of my favorite questions that, uh, that I would never get to ask in any other time. Uh, give me some of your pet peeves. Uh, one of my biggest pet peeves is uh, sometimes I'll go on – I use Twitter. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll go on Twitter and see, like, you get somebody now i love seeing what someone has purchased or what they've read that day most of my twitter is comics twitter that's why twitter is wonderful because you can choose to look at what you want to look at i want to look at comics and old wrestling interviews or get (laughs) gifs or whatever you know but there's nothing more annoying you know to see somebody say oh i paid five dollars for this or i paid one dollar for this and you just get you get a feeling this is for comics. You just get a feeling that maybe you ri- you just, who did you rip off to get that? You know? <laughs> I don't want to mention any names, but you know they're they're out there, and you see yeah. it, and you're like, how did you get that? We yeah. all like a bargain, but man, I I don't know anybody that gets these kind of bargains day after day, and it's just where are you going? What old lady do you have to knock off in order to get this stuff? It's true. It's true. I I, I know. I know the, uh, the 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 people you're talking about. We'll say, um, and the one thing I will say to their credit is that they don't show the receipt. Um, so uh, at least in my head, they could be full of crap. But in <laughs> in another, uh, you know, similar to that, like uh, there are a lot of uh, retro video game hunters on on the mm-hmm. internet who will share their receipt. That is like the, the they'll show you the receipt before they show you the game. They're very, very proud uh, that they paid, you know, they paid five dollars at a thrift store for whatever or they or they found something somewhere or or like they, they, they'll come out with the garage sale with like the five dollar sticker on like, the you know, the stadium events video game that goes for thousands <laughs> of dollars. That that kind of stuff. I, I totally get you. That is very, very annoying. And, and it is annoying. It is annoying in our little realm as well. For sure. sure. And, you know, I'll be I'll be the first one to admit I'm probably a hypocrite when it comes to that stuff, because much like yourself, I like finding a good bargain. But I'll be the first one to point my finger at somebody else and say, hey, you sh- you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't. Rip that person <laughs> sure. off. But I don't know if I'd stop myself either. So it's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that your only uh, pet peeve? Uh, my only other pet peeve I could think of off the top of my head were like. Sometimes I have a Facebook account and it's not my favorite thing in the world, but sometimes I, I have a certain friend on Facebook who might say, oh, God, they give you every little detail of their life. Well, I got yeah. up with a dog this morning and then I had coffee, but now I need I only had eight hours sleep, so I need to go back to sleep. I'm, I'm tired. I need a nap. I, <laughs> I have a friend. I, I know somebody that might be like that. So yeah, I, I think actually, we all I have that person that might be yeah. like that. I think we all have that person where. I don't know if that's I I use Facebook for one thing and it's sharing content. I don't look at anything else. I don't have, you know, my my little bookmark or what a link to Facebook goes to Chris's on Infinite Earths page. I don't go to my home page. I don't see what my family's talking about because you know, I that's you know, I don't want to see what everybody's doing. It's uh if if you know, I'll talk to people instead. 
But uh, yeah, I don't know if they still do check-ins. Is that something that they, that still happens on sometimes, Facebook? Sometimes, sometimes. Where like you could follow someone throughout. The, it's like I stopped at the bagel store. I I, uh, I, I checked in at the post office. I checked yes. in to get my hair done. I. It's like what? What? <laughs> I don't need to know about that either. I don't need to know what anybody had for lunch. I don't need a new recipe for you know whatever. <laughs> It's and then I'm I'm thinking here because I'm you know I, I'm I'm cynical about it, almost everything and I'm like I'm like all you're doing is telling people you're not at your house <laughs> you know right like, yeah that's yes, scary exactly. <laughs> it's like here I am on vacation three thousand miles from my house it's like your house is unprotected <laughs> we all know it <laughs> oh. I, ew, not my not my scene but uh no it's it's and it's not it's not any one person or anything like that I just. I, I really I don't care for Facebook. It's, it's, I, if I I have like 250 yeah. friends, I if I could keep 50 of them and get rid of everybody else, that'd be fine. But as soon as I I live in a small town, and as mm-hmm. soon as I would do that, I would I would find I, the You'd person. Face the rest. Yeah, I'd yeah. find them at the the Target or something, and yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, it's better to it's better to uh, just uh, bite the lip, bite the bite. Your yeah. Uh, so uh, you said you're in a small town. Where'd you where were you born? <laughs> Wow, what a segue. Uh, I I was born in Watertown, New York, which is home of Car Freshener, Green Trees, mm-hmm. and uh, 21 Jump Street's own Richard Grieco. Booker. Is that the Booker? <laughs> yes. Wow. Yes, they tried to right. spin Booker. him off, right? What's that? <laughs> Didn't they try to spin him off into a show called Booker? Yes, I believe so. Oh, he was boy. He was hot for a minute. He was for a minute. <laughs> now, Watertown is upstate. Um, how far upstate? Like uh, real up- far upstate. I'm about uh, a half an hour from the Canadian border. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I thought so because I, I I worked with a woman who came from Watertown. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. She, We're uh, probably related. It's a small you town. might be. <laughs> <laughs> you might be. Yeah, I worked with her about ten years ago, and uh, because she would tell me. She would do the thing where, like, she'd nudge me and be like, you know, us New Yorkers need to stick together. And I'm like, lady, you're Canadian. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. And she, she's like, no, no. Uh, and she, and she would try to like evoke the accent, and she'd be like, uh, I'm gonna go and get some water. It's like, come on, lady. <laughs> I'm gonna go for a walk. No, no, you're not. You're gonna go for a walk. Come on. But, uh, yeah, those those are our big claims to fame. We our, our other current claim to fame is that it's our it's the sometime home of um um uh, what's his name? Fam- famous actor, Lord of the Rings. I can't think of his name. Mm. Uh, Viggo Mortensen. Oh, he went to high school okay. here, and you can he's been to my my uh, local comic shop. Uh, they have an autograph uh, poster up on the wall that he had him that. and his had him and his wife sign or his girlfriend sign when they came in. So. Uh, you see him around town. I've seen him at my job before, and I think I cooked for him once when I used to work at a restaurant. But uh, it's that? kind of a local celebrity that has Oscar credentials, so that's kind of interesting. There you go. Property values are going to skyrocket. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is uh, your greatest achievement outside of creating content for the Internet? Uh, my greatest achievement would be uh, I'll be married, uh, what, 16 years this year, and cool. my wife has decided to – she's still putting up with a closet full of shirts I won't get rid of, and a basement <laughs> full of comics I'll largely never reread. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's that's one thing about uh, wives of people like us. Uh, <laughs> they, yes. They are – 
patient their 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 ticket to heaven is is punched already (laughs) (laughs) it's like my wife will yell at me occasionally to put my crap away Uh, today she did as a matter of fact uh because i have stacks of comics uh, because it's always something that i'm writing or recording or or something with a purpose and i'm kind of a slob and uh so i've got piles of everywhere uh the, the you know the, the the kitchen island has you know two half foot you know stacks of comics dining room <laughs> table has two uh the uh the, t- the tv console has a stack uh the, the little table behind the sofa has like three stacks uh wizard magazines piled up to the ceiling it, it's it, it's it's kind of a it's a fire hazard is what it is but uh yes uh our wives are very very patient you're very you're very lucky that wouldn't fly at my house. <laughs> my my wife might just be too tired <laughs> at this point. She's like, okay, you win, whatever. Um, now, what would you say is your oddest habit? Well, this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but I couldn't sleep without wearing socks until I was about thirty three years old. <laughs> yeah. So there's this has, that. No, this has nothing to do with Paula Abdul though. No, okay, no, okay, no, okay. he that's where all <laughs> No, nothing to do with that. Okay, very. Good. Uh, now, uh, one of one of my favorite questions here that again, I would never have the opportunity to ask is uh who would play you in a movie about your life? Hmm. Well, I'd given this some thought and uh it's hard. It's hard to think, mm. you know. It's kind of hard to think that, but the best answer I could come up with was Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. from from parks and recreation i know you don't watch a lot of tv but mm. uh, <laughs> chris pratt but uh not guardians of the galaxy like buff chris pratt mm-hmm. like fat like, nine, like 2009 chris pratt oh. <laughs> i'm familiar Dolby chris pratt that's that that would be who'd play me <laughs> i mean when this is a fun question that we're asking that i'm asking everybody so it'd be funny to like just get all of our movie uh our movie personalities in a picture or something uh-huh. Uh-huh. it's like, like well, a this is the... bunch, like, a, yes. like a square yeah we could do that and that would be the movie of this podcast would be all these people uh now uh another question is why comics yeah, why comics indeed my wife has been asking me that for a long time why why comics why are you still reading these things <laughs> no she's she's very understanding but uh for me comics have always been they're just to me, I think even more now, now more than ever, they're that ultimate escape. Of, mm-hmm. oh, sure. I just want to sit here, especially I've been digging into Bronze Age books, Bronze Age Superman. That is oh, my, yeah. I love it. And it's Absolutely. just, it's fun. And it's fun to just read them for a few minutes and forget about things. Um, and we covered the, we covered this. I, I was on uh, Chris's on Infinite Earths, what, about a year ago? You mm-hmm. and I had talked about it. But my first exposure to comics were probably, uh, now that i've thought about it probably the superpowers comics the little comics that come in superpowers toys sure and that just i don't know it just brings me back to being a kid and Mm -hmm. i've I've never lost it i i've like most people i've dipped in in and out here and there from time to time sure never because of girls or anything like that but uh (laughs) (laughs) that's never been in much of an issue it was more you know expenses or whatever sure i've dipped in and out here and there but i always come back for sure. Yeah, that's uh, the one thing when I when I first walked away and I thought I was done, um, the guy behind the counter said, uh, he's like, ah, you'll be back. And I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm done. He's like, no, <laughs> you'll be back there. They, they always come back. And uh, he was correct. <laughs> now, uh, 
What would you say people in high school thought about you? Oh, boy. Um, I would say in high school, people thought I was probably kind of eclectic. Okay. I suppose you could say. I uh, Senior year uh, was a fun time. I dressed up like Raven okay. uh, a few <laughs> okay. times with, like, jorts nice. and, a, and a T-shirt. And uh, I, I I called the hotline, like, I, you know, Raven, WCW, well, ECW, WCW uh, mm. wrestler. And uh, I called on TV and gotten the official WCW Raven shirt. So I wore my mom's leather jacket. 9900 Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. No, that was mean teen. I don't know. Oh, what that's jeans, had yeah. for uh, merchandise. Yeah. It was either well, that the, or the public enemy shirt. The public enemy. <laughs> <laughs> so I dressed like Raven. Uh, I dressed like I, I went to the uh, Salvation Army and found mm. a, a skirt, a plaid skirt. So I decided I would make a homemade reality check shirt. Oh, out nice. of uh, like a paint, this uh, like bubbly, a I don't even know paint. what you call it. A, paint, a puff paint, exactly, yes. yeah. I turned an old Nike shirt inside out and made a reality check shirt out of puff paint. Oh, nice. And and wore, uh, I even wore blue blue mesh shorts underneath the skirt. <laughs> I remember a, my homeroom teacher said, you're trying to make some kind of statement with that? And I said, like I was, you know, some kind of punk kid. And I'm like, mm. no, not really. I just thought it'd be fun to dress like Roddy Piper. So I did. <laughs> Um, you know, not to get off into too much of a tangent, but the one day, I think the first time I dressed like Raven, mm-hmm. um, I decided to run for student council that year. <laughs> and, uh, that day I dressed as Raven was the day that they were doing interviews to see who was going to be a candidate to, oh, that's to run. Great. <laughs> and so I sat on a panel. There were five, I was, I think I was junior. And there were five seniors that sat all on a line while I sat like in interrogation. I sat in a chair and they asked me all sorts of questions. And I think, you know, they asked me all the questions. I'm sitting there. We're all trying to pretend I don't look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we get to the last question and one kid asked me, so what are you going to do against your match against DDP tonight? And then I just like started cutting a promo nice. and I got in. I didn't win the oh. election, but they, they, they let me run for, I think it was secretary. So oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> but even despite all that and having like, I, I used to wear a lot of Hawaiian shirts. I had mm-hmm. a uh, time, love and tenderness tour, 1993, Michael Bolton shirt that my parents got at a tour okay. when they saw him at concert. I used to wear that. Um, despite all that, I was, uh, I was a pretty popular guy. How about that? Yeah. Not with the, not with the ladies so much, but, uh, uh I, I, w- I didn't hurt for friends. <laughs> Very cool. And, you know, it's funny. Um, we were uh, – this is probably like four or five months ago. I, you know, I, Michael Bolton's a name that doesn't really come up. You know, we don't mm-hmm. really talk about him in, in comics. We don't talk about him really ever. But uh, we have uh, that serious radio in the car, yep. you know. And during Christmas time, they've got like three or four stations that are all Christmas music. And uh, we heard the same Michael Bolton song like on three different stations like in a row. It was a Michael Bolton Christmas song. And uh, we're driving like down the block toward the house. And I turn to the wife and I say, okay, uh, the fact that I'm really, really enjoying a Michael Bolton song, does that mean I'm getting old? And she said, yeah, you're getting old. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, Michael Bolton's okay now. When I was a kid, it was like, oh, but now oh, it's the like, worst. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like, oh, Michael Bolton's on? Okay, turn it up. Or, or Rod, Rod Stewart, turn it up. You know? Uh, 
downtown Dump. train i am in <laughs> who else is gonna bring you a broken arrow uh, <laughs> but uh no it's uh, it's funny I, I haven't thought of michael bolton since that night and uh and the fact <laughs> that it makes me feel very very old but on a similar uh track there uh name some of your favorite performers Oh, brothers. Well, we already talked wrestling, so I guess uh, some couple of my favorite wrestlers would be uh, William Regal. Oh, yeah. Uh, currently, it would be Cesaro and oh, Kevin gosh. Owens uh, for music. Uh, Kiss. I was always a Kiss fan. Mm-hmm. I like the Killers. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big fan of Herb Elpert and the Tijuana Brass, making me an old man as well. <laughs> if, you remember, if you're familiar with them, Taste of Honey, um, mm-hmm. Spanish mm-hmm. Flea. Um, <laughs> And uh, as far as, like, I don't know, actors, John Candy has always been a okay. big, big favorite of mine since a kid. And uh, Jerry Stiller, he's a pretty funny guy, too, I guess. Very true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John John Candy is like, uh, I remember, you know, like, people talk about where they were when things happened, you know? Like, where were you when Kennedy was shot? I remember I had rented um, WWF Raw for the Genesis. <laughs> and I was I was just about to start playing that. And when I turned the TV on, they said that John Candy was dead. Oh. Uh, and I'll never forget that, that that is like intrinsically linked. And I think I I want to say it was a Friday, but it might not have been. Uh, but uh, it like ruined my weekend. And uh, right. it's like, man, this is, you know, I, I don't watch movies now, but I, I did as a kid, I guess. I, you know, Uncle Buck is yeah. awesome. The whole, uh, he was in Home Alone, uh, SCTV. Yep. Just, uh, yeah, Clean he was just. in automobiles. Sure. And everything. And, and, of course, the most important thing he ever did, Camp Candy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think here that was on at, like, 8.30 in the morning, and that was a bridge too far for me. In the morning. <laughs> I wasn't getting up that early, even for John Candy. Even for John Candy. That, that might, might be our – maybe that will be our next uh, podcast thing. We'll get everybody to, like, cover one Saturday morning cartoon, and uh, and we'll all cover one. We can cover Camp Candy and, <laughs> and get, get it out to the world here. Uh, now, one question that we have a lot of fun with on Moratory Mondays is uh, what's the last good book you did or didn't read? Um, Infinite Jest. Infinite Jest <laughs> 2. Jest Harder. <laughs> I I kid I kid I will say though I I recently I I I was on Facebook and I was looking at a uh, former coworker of mine uh, I was looking at her her profile of books she'd read and she had Infinite Jest and I I lost it I'll tell you what I lost it and I was like boy I I've, I actually I think it was her boyfriend or something like that liked Infinite Jest and I I was like oh I don't have any respect for that guy <laughs> I actually. Uh... I because I, I, I can be a pretentious git. Um, I own Infinite Jest and it oh. it, it literally has like three thousand pages. It's it's a huge <laughs> book. and um, just uh, just last week I took a picture of myself like with it with like a thumbs up and I sent it to uh, to Chris Bailey <laughs> to be like this is the best eight pages I've ever read because I've only ever read eight pages out of like the five thousand that are in it. So, <laughs> so yes, Infinite Jest is is wonderful, but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, what, what what book did you read? Uh, probably the last the last book. I mean, I, I mostly read comics, but the last book I could think of I was really taken with was called uh, Reality Land, A True Life Adventures at Walt Disney World by David Koenig. And it was kind of about the creation of, of Disney World from buying the land and just developing it. It told about a lot of the different deaths that have occurred there over the years. It was a really, um, a really fascinating story uh, of – all the ins and outs stuff that you don't normally get to hear about. So it was really interesting. 
that 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 sounds very interesting actually and uh you know not to be too morbid but the the deaths are a very weird thing that i, I that's one of those like sort of like uh honey holes that the uh that people like to dig into like to make yeah. videos and stuff but uh the one thing like despite all the all the people that have passed there the one thing that really caught me off guard was the fact that so many people want their ashes scattered there yeah and uh and, and like how you're not supposed to do that. No, no, not at all. <laughs> and how like I guess they have like a staff that cleans up ashes regularly because right, people will look out for that sort of thing. Yep. Yeah, because people will smuggle in ashes of their relatives to sprinkle on. You know, it's a small world because that was their their aunt's favorite ride or whatever. Right. Oh, that is nuts stuff. But uh, it, it's it's funny. You know, I, I read this book probably three months before we went on a family trip last year mm-hmm. and um, we went on uh, a space mountain. I didn't get to, to go. It's a, I won't get into why, but I didn't get to go on space mountain. But the rest of the family got to go. I'd lost my bracelet to get on the ride. Mm-hmm. And so when they're getting off, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, that was a great ride. But it was really jerky. And then I tell my nephew, he's he's a teenager, and I tell him, I'm like, well, I guess now's the best time to tell you that there have been a couple of decapitations on this. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to tell you guys that before you went on. But, yeah, there have been some people. There's been a lot of incidents on this ride. Oh. <laughs> That's wild. No. What would you say the last good movie you saw was? I don't – much like yourself, maybe – I, I don't watch a lot of movies, mm-hmm. um, and most most of the stuff I do watch is like kids' fair. Sure, uh, sure. Probably the last movie I really enjoyed was maybe Aquaman. That's been okay. about a year and a half, but uh, was it was last year, year before, yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably a year and a half ago. But I, I I really enjoyed that, maybe because I didn't expect much going into it. Hmm. Um, but I was really pleasantly surprised. It was it was a good movie. Very cool. Very cool. Now, what would you say is your biggest, the biggest influence on your content creation for the internet? Well, m- un- unlike most of your guests, I don't have a huge content creation list. But at the time when I was making my uh, my former podcast, That'll mm-hmm. Comic Smell, I would say uh, my biggest influence at the time was probably Tell Em Steve Dave, which is a uh, like Kevin Smith Viewersk Universe uh, mm-hmm. podcast from the Comic Book Men. Um, just that. Um, that's uh, what do you want to call it? Just them getting together and discussing and just shooting the breeze and recording it. And mm-hmm. I, I just enjoyed that. I found that very endearing. Very cool. Yeah. Like a round table sort of a thing. Yeah. I, I like a round table. Very Not cool. that, and, and just being amazed that somebody would want to, somebody wants to listen to me talk about, you know, <laughs> old cereal or old sitcoms <laughs> or whatever, you know, just stupid crap. Or listen, oh, my cool. buddy tell a story about the time that he blew off, uh, you know, the direct TV guy at Best Buy with hilarious <laughs> results. <laughs> so what would be your greatest unfulfilled ambition in uh, podcasting or content creation? Well, with that show, we never really got to just due to unforeseen circumstances. We never got to have a final episode. So yeah. I always kind of I mean, it, it couldn't be helped. But I was I was always kind of sad we didn't get to have that right off into the sunset, you know. You don't always get that, unfortunately. You don't always get that. That's you right. Don't. That is a that is a toughie for sure. Um, now, what would you say is the worst part of creating content for the internet? Well, I'm sure I'm not. I'm preaching to the choir here, but just finding time to coordinate schedules and mm. just making it happen sometimes can be yeah. a real bear. Is just as far as just getting getting all the dots to connect. I know during this project, it's been. 
you know, I don't know. I don't I I can't speak to it like you can, but I'm sure you've I'm sure it's been a bit of a time at times to to get things get the ball rolling. The main coordinating problem, things and editing things. It's, the main problem with this program has been me. <laughs> Everyone else has been fantastic. It's been me. Uh, but yes, I mean, definitely. I mean, uh, coordinating is difficult, uh, mostly because uh, you know I'm 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 scared to make waves and I'm scared to ask people uh, when they're available. I always think that I'm imposing on people, which is my main problem. But uh, even if I didn't have that problem, I would assume that coordinating is probably you know something to. Uh, that that would put you know a big crimp in in putting out a product, especially if you're doing it with any regularity or uh, on a on, you know on a time frame uh, basis for sure. Um, you know when I, when I was creating my podcast, we I don't I sound like such an old man, but we back then I don't think I had a smartphone or anything, so it was all mm-hmm. done like on a on a recorder and all done in oh. person. It wasn't Skype. It's not like you and I talking together. Oh, wow. The other side of the country. This was. 2012 2013 so like oh guys i've got an ipad or i've got an ipod i can record on it was just very kind of archaic by very by punk rock standards. yeah 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 the, the old bo smith podcast here uh, <laughs> where he used to record himself on a cassette and mail it to people that was, that was the original podcast uh, i my, my i used to have a, my, my friend he would call in from washington state and i would set it up on a speaker and then just record him into the phone Oh, and I've heard that go. I've heard that on other podcasts since, and it's like, oh my gosh, that's such a terrible idea! I can't believe I did that. It's <laughs> awful. <laughs> I, I bet it's uh, you make the best of what you got. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Things are different now. We're blessed. We're lucky to. Oh yeah. Have have what we have. Yeah. There's there's only there's almost too many uh, ways to do it now. It's uh, right. It's it's almost too easy. Um. Now when nobody's looking, what do you do? Well, <laughs> I guess the PG answer is that you crack your knuck- I crack my knuckles way too much. Oh, dude, me too. I could say scratch my nuts, but I, I, well, I guess I did just say that. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> there we are. Yes. <laughs> Probably not at the same time, though. No, that, that would be, be quite a feat. <laughs> that would be a feat, and uh, it could end in disaster, unfortunately. <laughs> but no, I, I'm right there with you, cracking my knuckles. I get yelled at by every every person who's older than me that hears me crack my knuckles has to like, you know, sun me. It's like, it's like right? They're gonna stay that, you know, you're, you're gonna you're gonna get arthritis, and it's like, well, if I don't have it now. <laughs> I've been hearing that for years, but yeah. occasionally you'll see that report that says cracking your knuckles has no. Uh, new study shows cracking your knuckles has no effect or has no. Bad no, no adverse. Or, yeah. yeah uh, like, yes. All right. I knew I was right. They just got to make sure that they don't do the next study. It's like to only show this one because uh, yeah. I use that. I use that for coffee consumption. It's like right. They say yeah. right here it's good for your heart, and it's like two it's, weeks later it's like no, it it gives you every disease. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Go back. It's like I don't want tuberculosis. Give me, give me the heart, <laughs> the heart healthy. Uh, now, now we've asked you a lot of questions and we've learned a lot about you over the past couple months here, but. With everything I've asked, is there anything I didn't cover that the people really should know about you? Oh, boy, I guess. Well, I can tell you all my comics are in alphabetical order. I've got about 8,000 books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I could sleep at night if they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> so every, everything's in alphabetical order. And I guess one odd thing about myself is I've, I've always, living so close to it, I've always been fascinated with uh, Canadian culture. 
nothing wrong with that. Uh, no, no, I, I'm a big, big fan. My my parents took me to Canada's Wonderland when I was probably three. Mm-hmm. So I think in my head, I have always associated, <laughs> I have always, uh, associated when in Canada's Wonderland is a I think it's the biggest uh, theme park in Canada. Okay. So in my in my mind, Canada has always been associated. It's like the land of milk and honey. It's the promised land. <laughs> it, it's it's like us, but it's different. They don't have Nabisco cookies. They have Mr. Christie cookies. It's I love it. It's quirky. To me, it's quirky. And maybe that's ignorant of me to say that. I don't know. But I, I love it. <laughs> They've got Smarties up there, too, that are like that's right. <laughs> that's right. No, I, I, I'm I'm right there with you. Um, not with the comics in alphabetical order, because I am a slob. Um, and <laughs> well, one thing about that. So when you have Superman changing to Adventures of Superman, mm-hmm. what do you do? Do you move Adventures to the front, to the A's? You know what? This is a situation I really hadn't thought about until probably maybe within the last six months when I sorted books. And I thought, (laughs) you know, that really should be in with the S's. But I use I use CLZ, um, the the, uh, comics uh, organizer, and that has it under A. So I just go with that. (laughs) I go with the CLZ rate, whatever they have it because i figure if i go to look for something to see if i have it that's probably instead of digging through the long box or the short boxes mm. that's what i'm going to be using anyway so i i i use them as a uh, measuring stick okay so here's another question superboy turns into superboy and the legion of superheroes which turns into legion of superheroes what do you do with that series i've never had to worry about that because I do not care for the Legion. There you I, go. I don't own many books of theirs. That's not a problem I will ever have to face. They're not, they're not for me. <laughs> me either. I, I still have a bunch, but they, they are definitely not for me. But, I have uh, a couple I've picked up as a very, like, Tales of the Legion of Superheroes. Sure. I, that, yeah. That's all. I've got, like, two issues of that. It's, it's not for me. <laughs> it's never been my thing. Now, with uh, with Canadian culture, I always, I you know, it's funny. When you're a kid, you don't really see the bigger picture. So, for me, uh, Canada was always, you know, uh, you can't do that on television. Mm-hmm. Um, Degrassi Junior High uh, and Kids in the Hall. And and the, the Bret Hart family. That was Canada. <laughs> that was all of Canada. Uh, was, was those few bits of pop culture. And uh, definitely was, you know, I, I look at it all favorably for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we would, being this close to the border, we get, we had... Oh, maybe two or three uh, Canadian stations we would get. So you, you get just a glimpse of what was going on of like. Uh, oh, you get oh, like much music. Uh, was, no, we didn't get that. It oh, was we all got like, that uh, on the island, network yeah. television. Like okay. uh, Mr. Dress Up is, is a show we would get, which is a children's program. Or, I uh, hope. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, that's great. They but just do I, things a little bit differently, and I, I have always found it very endearing. <laughs> very, very cool, yeah. All dressed I, chips. Okay, okay. Ketchup <laughs> chips. All oh, right. No, no. no it's, I, I mean, I'll still, uh, I'll still marathon Degrassi Junior High now. I, it's <laughs> <laughs> that never was gave one it thing up. that never, I, I, I didn't get into Degrassi so much. Oh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> see Joey Jeremiah and and the Zit Remedy. Oh man, I, I, that's something that I think uh, Bailey and I are gonna have to talk about in in great detail. Oh, soon. nice, nice. <laughs> because he is a uh, very Canadian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that is all the questions I got for you, and uh, that is, 
I think we were talking about X-Men Volume 2, Number 2. I think we, we, we mentioned a few things about that book. But uh, that'll do it for this segment. I want to thank you for hanging out with me this month. And uh, next month we will wrap up this, uh, you know, the farewell to Chris Claremont in the contemporary at the time X-Men books. Uh, yeah, if you have anything else you'd like to share with the folks? Uh, no, just uh, thanks for having me on. And we will see you again. I will see you again. You're going to go on to the next segment, but mm-hmm. I will be back next month for X-Men number three. Yes, I am going to take the baton and run it all the way over to Uncanny X-Men number 282, where we're going to meet Bishop. Beautiful. Who? Me? What's your language? No place to run. No place to run. No place to run.